Welcome to Soul Stirrings, a podcast where all things regarding faith, communication, and culture are considered. I'm your host, Paul Patton, and here's hoping for at least a couple of grins and maybe one strange amen. Welcome back to Soul Stirrings. In my last podcast, I began a series offering some thoughts on wise pop cultural engagement, um, setting up what I argue is the crucible of our existence, that is the wise, grace-filled use of time and energy in light of the pop cultural 24-7 summons with constant promise of finding one's and feeding one's entertainment impulses. Remembering, as Ken, Ken uh, Meyer said in his book a half a generation ago, All God's Children in Blue Suede Shoes, that uh, cultural engagement without cultural wisdom leads to cultural enslavement. He also noted in that book, and I highly recommend it uh, as we go through in this series, All God's Children in Blue Suede Shoes, He said the most significant question raised by pop culture is what's the most edifying way to spend our time. This podcast, uh, the the second half of this introduction to the series, Your Dance with Pop Culture, I want to do two additional things. First, provide a brief autobiographic glimpse that has provoked my sometimes consuming interest in the wise, redemptive engagement of pop culture, because I was and am, in many ways, a recovering alcohol, a, a recovering addict. All right, and I'll get to what, uh, how I use the word addiction as we continue in this series. And second, offer what I call the, the junk food fantasy to help uh, our listening audience understand what's at stake in developing wisdom in our dance with pop culture. The challenge for me regarding uh, uh, pop culture, what I call dance, uh, uh, and we'll get into that metaphor of dance, and and of course it means that pop culture is a dance partner always wanting to drag you to its floor, um, always wanting to make sure that it initiates in the dance, And as I say in this series uh, titled Your Dance with Pop Culture, the the subtitle is Who's Leading Whom? But the challenge for me started, uh, became clear in my early 20s after watching a couple of NFL games in a row, um, not involving uh, any of my favorite team, the Detroit Lions. (laughs) I just consumed six hours of my existence watching four football teams Countless commercials, scintillating replays, and and, an endless banter christened color commentary. Six hours of my life consumed because I told myself I had nothing better to do. It was the same decade that Pink Floyd sang Comfortably Numb. Hopefully you get the picture. Afterward, in a heightened manner, and heightened moment of of self-disgust, I decided that I would find better things to do, that I wanted to move away from what Cornell West described as a spectator passivity, incrementally dominating my life. So I stopped watching television for two years. Again, that was a generation ago. In later years, 
as a pastor with a lifelong case of undiagnosed attention disorder, I would regularly struggle finishing my sermon preparations because the game of the century just happened to be on, or the movie that I've always wanted to see just happened to be on. For years, any significant traction in ordering my private world, certainly a reference to Gordon MacDonald's wonderful book by that title, any significant traction in ordering my private world was lost with television and radio programs that offered superior alternative engagements, enticements to the work sitting on my desk, or the thoughts waiting to be stewarded in my head. I had an assignment before God with a congregation in just a matter of hours, and I was still watching the game, that week's game of the century. After only a few years of cable, and yes, the television fast lasted about two years, I realized that I could not afford the luxury of any 24-hour sports channel, for instance. These sports channels demanded this invention of, of cable television in the 80s. These sports channels demanded near constant attention. There was always another score to inform me, another play to be deciphered, another victor to be heralded. I could understand the fixation with this mind-boggling saturation of sports scores and profiles if I aspired to be a sports talk broadcast analyst. But the reality was I was just one of millions of nothing else grabs my attention, imagination-challenged crusaders looking for a victory in an arena that was only vicariously mine. And that was the tragedy, shall I say, and I won't back off in that. It was a tragedy of my comfortably numb experience, even as a young pastor. The cycle of my addictive struggle with mass-mediated scintillations and my torments over lack of resolve at building, in the words of Teresa of Avila, an interior castle, have probably dominated my life since then. I find that a prominent theme in my journals as I review them over the last 40 years surrounds this dance with pop culture. Why is it so many of the Saturdays I lived, I would say to myself, my major dramatic question is, will my favorite college football team win or lose? I had kids to raise. I had arenas in which I could affect an outcome that I was ignoring. The other thing I wanted to do today on this uh, second uh, um, podcast, introducing this series on your dance, entitled Your Dance with Pop Culture, is um, what I, I call the junk food fantasy. And, and I want you to uh, imagine this. Suppose a food item, junk food as well as healthy food, was as easily ac accessible as the push of a button on, on your laptop computer. Imagine that merely thinking for just a few seconds about a cupcake, or make that two or three or seven cupcakes creme brulee or two stalks of asparagus would make it immediately available. And imagine that it is a magic that is at your fingertips every day, all day. The food fantasy. This is beyond our saunter to the refrigerator, opening the door and hoping to find some transcendent snack experience. This magic does not even make anyone get off the couch. 
It just requires that we take a couple of seconds to settle in on specifically what we want to wolf down right now. And then everyone is commanded to eat sensible portions, maintain a balanced diet, and cut down on sugars and carbs. Well, what, well, what would we look like, I ask? And how resentful would we, be, we, would we be toward the diet police? Now suppose... Now suppose any photo, film scene, video sensation, gratuitously sensual, graphically violent, or aesthetically brilliant and redemptively haunting was as accessible as the push of a button. Imagine that merely thinking about it for a moment launched a series of searches that delivered the visual package in seconds. And then someone brings up the Savior who sagely offered this cryptic little gem, the lamp of the body is the eye, and whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. But of course, I'm, what I'm describing is no longer magic, but the sometimes bludgeoning reality of our media-saturated existence. It is the lamp of our body full of, is the lamp of our body full of light or full of darkness, or somewhere stigmatized in the middle. And with visual stimulus so easily accessible, how much easier is it to conveniently marginalize the man from Galilee who sometimes happens to be as far away as you can get from the entertainment anarchy loosed upon the earth? And for many of us, such easily accessible visual magic describes the lamp of the body dilemma and the crux of our mass-mediated dance. And in contrast to bathroom scales and mirrors that would gag us with the shocking results of regularly indulgent food binges, the scales and mirrors that measure our soul's health are not so readily available. In the next podcast, I want to begin talking about and inviting you to think and ponder and do the self-examination necessary to develop what I call sacred intentionality as it relates to our dance with pop culture. Again, thanks so much for joining me on Soul Stirrings. <laughs>